Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy October 14th. Today is episode number 330. And my guest for the happy hour today is Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen is a research professor of English and Christianity and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. She's the author of several books, including On Reading Well, and her writing has appeared in numerous places, including Christianity Today, The Washington Post, Relevant, The Gospel Coalition, and so much more. She and her husband of 35 years currently live in Central Virginia. And you guys, I've been a longtime fan and admirer of Karen's voice and her writing, and I am so thankful that she's joining us on the podcast today. I read an article that she published back in August, and we will link to that in our show notes, and we talk about it in the show today. And as I read that article, I knew this is the time to have Karen on the show, although I've been dreaming about having her on forever. In today's episode, Karen talks about her experience in going from a private person to a public person, the stigmas and baggage that come with remaining a Southern Baptist, and some of the downsides of having a visible platform. She also gets vulnerable about some of the recent challenges that she's facing around leaving her employer of 21 years and the corruption of power that we see within the evangelical world. There's a real and evident tension that comes with reminding people who Jesus is when the people who claim to follow him fall. It's a serious task to uphold the responsibility of power, and it is definitely a difficult task to respond to falls in leadership. But I love so much how Karen does not back down from this task, and she does it with such grace. You're going to love my conversation with Karen today. Friends, it's been a few weeks since my book, UBU, launched into the world, and it's been so fun. Launching a book, I always say, is one of the most vulnerable things in the world. It's also so much fun. My favorite part of it is seeing you guys post on Instagram about loving the book. But one thing I want to ask you is if you have read the book and you love the book, would you go leave a book review for us on Amazon? Those reviews, they're not for my um, confidence, you guys. In fact, I try to steer clear of them because for obvious reasons, but they really help people find the book. And I believe in this message. I believe in the words in this book. I believe in the freedom that it brings to people's lives. And so sometimes a little review nudges someone in the right direction of purchasing a book for themselves. So we would really, really, really love it if you would do that. Okay, friends, here is my conversation with Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. Hey, Karen, welcome to the happy hour. It's great to be with you, Jamie. (laughs) I wish I was in Virginia with you right now, sitting in your room because the listeners can't see this because they're just listening to us, but you have all these books behind you. (laughs) And in my dream world, in fact, Karen, I was thinking about this today. I sent my kids all back to school today. We're recording this in September. I was walking around my empty house and I was thinking to myself, it's so quiet without the kids home. And I'm thinking in a few years, this is going to be our everyday life because my kids are all going to be gone. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to turn one of their rooms into a library. <laughs> so as I look to your library behind you, I think, oh, one day I'm going to have a library in my house. So thanks for joining me today. Oh, no. It's, yeah, and this is a converted, this room, I don't even know what it was originally because this house is so old. And when we bought it, 
this room had been converted into like a kitchen upstairs or something. I oh, think nice. they made it into an apartment. I don't know. Okay. But anyway, we converted it into a library. So it's just a little, you know, quiet, dark space. <laughs> well, you know, I think that if I were going to put two rooms together, I would put a kitchen and a library together because here's what happens at my house. I don't know who's the cook at your house between you and your husband. My husband. My husband okay, mine too. <laughs> so my husband's the cook. So in a perfect world, he would be cooking. I would have a book and a glass of wine and we'd both be happy. So let's have the perfect world now. Just do the, re- do the remodel. <laughs> Sounds like the perfect life. Karen, for those of my listeners who aren't familiar with your work and what you do, give yourself a brief introduction to all my listeners. Well, I am primarily an English professor. That's, you know, what my life's work is. But I write some books and write a lot of articles and do a lot of tweeting. And I live uh, in Central Virginia. I've just finished up 21 years of teaching at Liberty University and I'm transitioning to a new position at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, just a little bit south of me. I've been married to my husband, Roy, for 35 years. (laughs) I'm married very, very young, yes. And uh, we live in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, which is God's country. And it is very dreamy. So yeah, very, very, very who I am, I guess. Well, I've known about you for a while and our paths have crossed a handful of times. And then just recently in August, you wrote an article, which you write lots of articles. And I read it and I thought, I have got to get Karen on to have conversations about this because you're a brilliant writer. So the article was not a surprise in that way, but it was just like, man, this is a conversation that I would like to have around what we're seeing a lot. And so I'm going to dive in. We're going to, we're not going to hold any punches back. We're going to dive into the happy hour because if I were sitting across from you in your library, (laughs) I would be doing the same thing. One of the things that I think we've seen a lot in church and evangelicalism has been we've seen a lot of people fall. Mm -hmm. And this has been really hard for me, Karen, because I never want to celebrate failure. Like, oh my gosh, never. Like, and I believe in a Jesus who died for everyone's failure and is, can redeem anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet we have these things that we see. And I find myself thinking we have to talk about this in a way that is healthy which makes it difficult. And your article did that so much for me. It was a, you wrote an article about power and here, let me get the title for it right here. It's called Liberty University Be a Lesson in Unchecked Power. And I just want to read at the very end, you said this, you said, in the name of conservatism, we've conserved the wrong things. In the name of evangelism, we evangelize the wrong gods. In the name of religion, we harm those entrusted to our care. Thank you for writing it. It was with everything that happened with Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty University that we saw over the summer and then throughout the end of August, beginning of September. Was that hard for you to write for two reasons? Number one, you spent 21 years there um, Mm -hmm. working there, pouring out your life for the students. In fact, I've talked to a handful of students and they love you so much. And so was that hard to write from that perspective? And then is it just hard to write as a follower of Jesus? Ooh, that's kind of a loaded question. I have so much to say. I'll try to say it. Say it all, Karen. <laughs> okay, we will hear okay. all of your words. So just kind of the short answer about that particular article, writing it, and then I'll kind of uh, scope out to the broader issue, just for anyone who's interested in writing and that process. This was actually one of the hardest articles that I've ever written, but not for what might be the, you know, the obvious reason. So I was 
mentally, spiritually, and emotionally exhausted when I was asked to write that. Because things, as you, you know, you kind of gave a brief timeline of, you know, things happening in August, September. It was pretty quick at least in the public eye. But for me, it wasn't quick. I knew a lot of things for a long time and I knew they were coming. And then there were some surprises along the way too, you know, that no one could have planned, only God could have revealed in terms of, you know, showing people for who they are. So I agreed to write this article quickly with a quick turnaround and I didn't realize how exhausted I was. I'm still recovering from that exhaustion, by the way. But I sat down and I spent a day or two, I had two days to write it and I wasted an entire day writing something and sending it to someone that I trust and saying, can you just tell me what this, if there's anything in here that I can salvage? And he said, no. (laughs) He said, Karen, put all this, save it for something else. (laughs) And he said, write out of your passion and your anger for what has happened to your students and your school. Mm. And so that's what I did. And I wrote that in about an hour (laughs) and turned it in. So But I, you know, I prayed and prayed. I just said, God, I I am so weak. I'm so empty. I don't know what to say in this moment. Please, please give me the words because I just, I am exhausted and I don't know what to say. And so I do believe that he gave me the word. I even just said this to a close friend of mine. I said, I thought this article was filled with cliches and the most basic things that anyone could say because I've been living this for so long. And I, to me, it just seemed like the obvious, but Um, Did I just quote some of those, what you thought were the most obvious cliches? No. Well, some the whole thing in my mind was just what I've been carrying around for a long time, but I don't realize that most readers didn't, weren't carrying that around. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, and you know, a big part of being a writer or a teacher is kind of knowing what your audience knows and doesn't know Mm. and giving to them. And I was just beyond that. Like I have been living in this for so long that I don't know what everyone else doesn't know, if that makes sense. It does make sense, um, yes. And so, yeah, so I just thank God for giving me the words. And I actually have refused so many interviews and so many writing opportunities on this because I still don't really want to write and talk about it that much, but you're an exception, Jamie. So. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. But what about the fact of how is this difficult to have this conversation as a follower of Jesus? Because mm-hmm. here's where it's hard for me, Karen, is I co-host over on the Relevant Podcast and love doing that every single week. And we've spent a good amount of time talking about what has been happening at Liberty University. And most of the time that we talk about it, I feel like it's constructive. And most of the time that we talk about it, I feel like it's worth talking about because it matters because we're all Christ followers and it matters. And then there's other scenarios that might happen in the world. And I think, I don't know how I could talk about this. Mm -hmm. So my question to you would be, was that hard to write as a follower of Jesus? To kind of talk about how you see power corrupting mm, people's mm. people's leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, followers of Jesus come in all different stripes, right? We have mm-hmm. liberal, conservative, progressive. You know, that's something we've seen, especially in the past few years, as a lot of our, you know, our categories and edifices are crumbling. So I, I want to answer that as a little bit more specifically as being someone who is conservative, evangelical, Southern Baptist, you know, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a follower of Jesus within a very specific kind of community and camp and belief system. And so being conservative, I actually give more weight and trust 
you know, constitutionally and doctrinally to institutions and to authorities and, mm-hmm. and yeah, to those things. So it's less natural for me to, you know, to fight the man or, you know, or <laughs> rail against the, the powers that be. And so it makes it a little bit harder for me to, I think, even see sometimes mm. these abuses of power and authority and then to know what to do about it because mm-hmm. I do naturally and willfully believe in authority and, and institutions and so forth. And so sometimes I feel like I'm way behind. You know, we've got all of our Twitter friends out there and writer friends in the progressive or evangelical world, which I, you know, some of a lot of where they're coming from grieves me, you know, and they've been exposing these things for a long time. And then here I come along and say, wow, guess what? Mm -hmm. These institutions can be abusive and corrupt, (laughs) but I still believe in them. I still, Mm -hmm. so it's just a, a very specific kind of tension that I find myself in, believing in these institutions, believing in many of the people who have invested in them and who still hold them up and yet still needing to call to account those who have corrupted them and those who to some degree or another are complicit. And those are people that I love. And even asking myself, how complicit have I been? And what Mm. is that line? Mm. Could you have written this article if you were still working there, do you think? No, I could not have. Yeah. So here's my question. I also, I always think about this I mean, this I, could, too. I could have. But you might not have been working there <laughs> yeah, anymore. Right, right, right. right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. I'm with you on all that, Karen, and I agree. I, I come from the same, same ideas, same feelings as well. Here's where I also am always wanting to think through the lens of the people that are not Christians looking in on situations where we could list. It's not just what happened this summer at Liberty University with the president. There have been numerous other examples of what we've seen within institutions where power has corrupted what was meant to be good. What do you say to those people who are not Christians and they're looking in and then they're lumping everybody into that same kind of person that we've seen power corrupt people? How do you talk to them and remind them that that does not equal everyone that chooses to follow Jesus? I mean, that's a really important conversation to have, but I actually in some ways think, you know, the world that we live in right now, we are seeing so many revelations of abuse and corruption in Mm -hmm. all institutions and not even just formal institutions, but informal ones like Hollywood Mm -hmm. or politics. In some ways, that actually makes it easier. It's harder for us to deny in this day and age how absolutely power corrupts, whether it's within the church or in some other institution, and how so many uh, communities are defined by hypocrisy to their professed ideals. You know, again, Mm. Hollywood isn't Christian, but it, you know, claims to be for freedom and equality. And we see that, you know, women have been treated horribly there and minorities as well. So to me, the issue, it's more important to just kind of rather than point to the hypocrisies because those are everywhere. Although that's, you know, it is important. I point those out for my people. You know, I get accused Mm. by a lot of conservatives, especially on social media, of always punching my own people. And I'm like, because those are the people that I love and that that I want to correct. I mean, the other people aren't, they're not, you know, not my circus, not my monkey. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So it's really about pointing to the way we are all fallen and the way we are all prey in this 
particularly I think in this postmodern age, to being corrupted by power specifically. And so I think there's lots of opportunities to talk about why not just believe being a Christian, but also why I continue to be a Southern Baptist, why I could still consider myself conservative, because I do believe in conserving the right things. Mm. I do believe in evangelizing for the right true mm-hmm. God. Yeah. All those things that I said in the article are actually the reasons why I'm still committed to my particular beliefs. I just want to help correct the, sh- you know, right the ship. Right, right. Do you get asked that question often? Why are you still a Southern Baptist? I do. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to ask, but now I now I want to know how you answer it. Yeah, it's a complicated <laughs> can, I, can I tell you why I would like to ask as well? You are too, right? Well, or- yes. <laughs> and we, I go to a Southern Baptist church and I always, I was telling Aaron just the other day, I was like, when people ask me, it's almost like I want to like kind of put my <laughs> head down in my hands mm-hmm. and go, yes, but we're not what you think. That's what I feel like. That's mm-hmm. what I want to say. I want to be like, no, like we love women. We love people. We love, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of racial injustice. Like mm-hmm. we love all these things because I feel like there's this idea of what Southern Baptist is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say I'm embarrassed by any means. Right, right. I just always am like, well, what have you heard? That's kind of what I want to say. <laughs> right, it's like, what right. do you know? So tell right. me, why do you say, why do you say, <laughs> yes, I'm still here? Well, I mean, there are a few different ways to answer that. You know, one is, of course, just doctrinal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been Baptist, generic Baptist by conviction, you know, pretty since I've been a Christian, which has been as a child, I was raised uh, in a Baptist type churches. And then providentially, because I wasn't Southern Baptist until moving to the South 21 years ago. And at that point, we were looking for a specifically Southern Baptist church because, you know, we were still coming into the conservative resurgence. So a lot of Baptist denominations in the North where I grew up are are liberal and progressive, and we didn't want that. We wanted conservative. Mm -hmm. And so we knew we would find that in the Southern Baptist conventions. So here I am. And so I can see providentially that God is using me here and using others that I have come to know and love. And I can look at the other denominations and see all their problems. So I could switch problems, one set of problems for another. Mm -hmm. But I believe in God's providence that he has directed me along this path my entire life. And until he you know, directs me elsewhere, which is the exact opposite has been true. I've been becoming more and more involved and feeling more and more like I'm using my gifts and my talents uh, that God gave me. So I'm here. And I, you know, again, it's got a lot of baggage, but don't we all? I know. And I like how you just said I could exchange one problem for another problem, you know? So it's not like we're all looking around going for this perfect place that Mm -hmm. actually doesn't actually Mm -hmm. exist Mm -hmm. until one day it will when we're with Jesus. Mm -hmm. You talked about using your voice. And I know that I've heard you talk about kind of this transition from this private life into more of a public life. Uh, What has that been like for you? And was it a decision where you were like, okay, it's time. I, I'm going to start speaking out on things. Or was it just a kind of a slow transition? You woke up one day and went, oh my gosh, okay, now people are watching and listening. <laughs> it was not a conscious decision at all. You know, you, social media has changed so much. So when mm-hmm. I was working on my first book, which came out in 2012, so that eight years ago, which seems like forever ago and just yesterday too, right? Yeah. You know, Twitter, Facebook had been around a little bit. Twitter was 
fairly new. And so when I imagined being an author and writing a book, I was doing that still primarily as an English professor. I had written a few columns, wanted to be an opinion writer and an essayist primarily. Just thought, well, you know, I'll just always be one of those sort of unknown writers, hopefully writing good things that a few people read and like. And Yet then this whole evangelical sort of celebrity culture was evolving. I got an email, just a person in my profession that I, fellow Christian, that whom I love and admire so much and have looked up to my entire professional life. And he congratulated me for becoming a celebrity. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that is not, you know, I, I, this, <laughs> anyway, and I was like, that is not what I ever wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I wanted, but Again, I just see God doing this. I simply spoke up. My voice has been received in certain corners and places, and those places have opened and expanded. And I've just tried to be faithful in stewarding those. It would not have been, this would not have been my choice. If I could pick Mm -hmm. who I was, it would be, you know, some, you know, Ivy League professor writing deep, thoughtful books that only a few people read, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But that would have been my choice. But I can see now that God has more for me to do in the church and for the church. And the mm. fact that he is using me specifically to cultivate love and appreciation and understanding of literature, when I, I do that, that just blows my mind. I never thought that God would use that passion for the church. I love that so much because it's this shining example of God can take something that you're so passionate about and use it to bring him glory, which all of our lives should be bringing him glory. And to see that he gets to use literature that you love and are passionate about, mm-hmm. isn't that kind of him? It's so kind. He has been exceedingly kind to me and I'm so thankful. So I've, I'm just, okay. I've tried to, you know, so pretty much I try never to question his ways anymore. I'm just like, okay, God, I, okay. you know, yeah. right. I'm here. I'm yeah, here. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, this was not your life plan is to this, you know, celebrity, people listening to your voice and what you have to say. What's been the most difficult Mm -hmm. about that transition and change in your life? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say a couple of things. I mean, I always was a private person, but I'm sort of half introvert and half extrovert. So I guess that's, you know, I can sort of play either role. My husband is extremely private and probably our biggest arguments in the past, you know, 10 years have been over me, you know, sharing too much on social Mm -hmm. media about things that he considers private, which haven't even really been that much. But um, so, you know, he's a very private person. So I've had to kind of learn to navigate that and respect that. And, Mm -hmm. and he's also very protective of me. And so when I get attacked, which is pretty often on social media or maligned, it's very, very hard on him. Mm. And, but he, you know, he, believes in me and trusts me and lets me do what I'm out there doing. So yeah, yeah. And then the other thing that's just just more is that, again, to go back to social media and the celebrity and kind of the pull of the of the tweets and the likes and all of the calls for my attention on social media or wherever podcast. No. But this is true of all of us. I mean, I'm old enough to have lived at a time when there was no social media and there wasn't even email and I could sit and get lost in a book for hours, mm. you know, and just read for hours. And I don't know how to do that now. I mean, I don't, I practically, I like, can I do that? Can I shut off the world yeah. and just do that? I mean, I, little bits and pieces, but yeah, you know, I guess that's just sort of nostalgia for the age that's gone by, you know, like 
wishing we had you know horse-drawn carriages or something, which I don't. But <laughs> but that's just a loss that I felt, yeah. and I want to work on restoring a little bit more privacy and quiet time, and just you know time to sit and read and not answer all of the all of the, the things places. coming yeah. at you. Yeah. Yes. I was telling someone the other day, I used to read a lot. I remember probably about 15 years ago, I this is funny that I'm telling an English professor this, but about 15 years ago, I thought, you know what, I'm going to read six books this year. I just was not a reader. In fact, I some of the books I read that year were books I was supposed to read in high school when I, <laughs> you know, and I told my teacher I did and I didn't, but whatever. And I ended up reading like 24 books that year. And so I developed this like love for like, oh my gosh, I can sit and read a book. And when my kids were younger, I'm not a get out on the playground type of mom. Like now that my kids are older, let's go play football. I can do that. But like push you on a swing and do the merry-go-round. No, find a friend. They can help you out, right? So I would take my kids to the park and I would just read and read and read. And now that we have this... Mm -hmm phone mm-hmm. that never leaves our hand mm-hmm. and I can check all my email. I can do all the things. Mm-hmm. I like you. The other day I thought, you know what? Because if I were to sit outside, I'm doing something on my phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, I'll take these minutes to catch up on email or catch up on text or whatever. And there is this kind of loss of remember when we weren't so accessible mm-hmm. all right. the time. So I hear you. I hear you. Are you reading for fun right now? Uh, I stopped reading for fun a couple weeks ago when I started doing class. No, no, no. I just lied. I just lied. I tell myself that I don't read for fun when I'm doing class prep because I'm doing a lot of class prep right now and that involves a lot of reading. But I am, I'm sneaking a a new novel uh, that I heard about on NPR. It's like a horror tale in the line of Shirley Jackson, whom I love. It's called The Sisters by Daisy Johnson and it's so good. So I'm sneaking reading that when I'm taking a break from... Class from your classwork <laughs> that you need to be doing. But I, you know, I know that one of the things that you've had to do, we talked about this very briefly a, a while ago, is this transition that you've had. Mm-hmm. You were at Liberty University for 21 years, which feels like, I mean, a long time <laughs> to be at the same job. I mean, really, Karen, you could have taught people and then taught their children 21 thanks, years if they had. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> thanks. What I mean by that is you had like know, consistent, you were pouring into so many people's lives. Um, and I wasn't kidding when I said earlier that I had talked to a couple of Liberty students and they adore you, former students. What has that transition been like? Because as much as these are my words, not yours. You might have alluded to feeling a little bit of tension there with the things that you've maybe seen. You still love the place. You love the students. You you taught for the students, not for the administration. So how has that transition been for you? Yeah, well, I'm still making the transition, I feel like. And again, because it, it wasn't just a, a job transition. I, I mean, I, I knew that I was leaving Liberty and going to Southeastern almost a year ahead of time. So I, you know, mm-hmm. announced it a year ago, which is good. I'm a person who does not like change. I am the most like routine oriented. I need to do the same things every day and eat the same things pretty much every yeah. day person <laughs> that there is. So change for me is huge. But the Lord in his mercy, you know, allowed this transition to happen slowly so that I could get used to the idea. But then kind of the trauma, and it it is trauma, not just for me, but for my colleagues and for the whole institution that occurred as I was making the transition. I mean, these Mm -hmm. things were unfolding, you know, just as my contract there was ending and my one at Southeastern was beginning. It just put me in a place where I need, I knew I was convicted by God that I needed to steward that place where I was still sort of I'm still part of the Liberty community in some ways. I mean, I'm still part of the church community here and and friends with 
board members and in administrators and lots of faculty members. And so it was kind of like having one foot in the door and one foot out. And for whatever time that was going to last, I needed to steward it well. I needed Mm -hmm. to speak up on behalf of my colleagues who still can't speak up and still love and serve that institution. But because let's just face it, this goes back to my article. When you have an institution that is you know, whose systems and whose power has been corrupted. It's not just one person, one person. That would be impossible to keep. Right. 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 I mean, there are people around that person and different levels of complicity as we talked about before. And and I'm not saying that I'm just saying that that's just the reality. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we just can't even see that when we're in it. So I'm sure that that's why we all have to sort of examine ourselves about how much we are complicit in abuses and power. So anyway, all that to say that, you know, it's been a long transition, which has been hard, but also merciful because I wouldn't, I don't, think it would have been possible for me to wake up one day and say, oh, here's a new chapter of my life. But I do kind of need to do that. So I'm, you know. You are entering a new chapter. You know, I do find it when I read your article and the more that I've had conversations about what's been happening, not only just there, but in other institutions that we've seen and not even only institutions in the church and other places that we have seen what we talked about earlier, this power, who can corruption, it has made me think exactly what you just said of this person. It's not a solo gig. Mm -hmm. It's not a solo job of power. And what it's made me do, Karen, is kind of reevaluate of do I want to be complicit in things like that, like thinking, because you always think like, oh, that's the yes man. Like who's telling anyone no? Like, you know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. And if no one can tell you no, but because of fear of what you might do, I feel like that's a kind of a power situation. And so it has caused me to think a lot of how do I want to encourage my listeners or people around me to kind of wake up to when are you in a situation where you can never speak into someone's life or never say no, because that might be an absolute power. And we're watching right in front of our eyes of what happens when that happens. And it takes down a lot of people, which is sad. You know, it doesn't just affect the people right in front of them. Okay, so what I want to ask you this as well. You were talking about how this has never been your plan to be this, you know, person that people listen to, and you would rather just be writing these books that, like, you know, just a handful of people read, which, Karen, a lot of people read your stuff because you're <laughs> such a good writer. But what does that look like? I, I think a lot of people right now would look at you or other people and think, okay, this is my goal. I'm going to be like her. I'm going to, if I could do this, then I'll be successful. But you were a teacher for 21 years. I mean, you know, this is the long road here that we're looking at. And so, you know, what is your encouragement to people who are thinking, I want to be like where Karen is now and they're 20 years behind you? Yeah. You know, I get asked that question a lot, especially, you know, from students or former students. And they literally will come to me and say, I want to be like you. How do I do it? And the first thing (laughs) I say to them and their jaw, you know, that I have to wait for their jaws to come up off the floor is I say, well, if you want to be like me, then don't write your first book until you're 47. <laughs> and that is not the answer these That's not what they one-year-olds want to hear. Now, and I'm not saying everyone has to do exactly that, but the, but if, if they're looking at me and they want to know, and this is so true of so many things in life, like we see the success, we see the fruit, but we just don't always see what happened behind the scenes over the years, the work that was put in, the investment that was made, the seeds that were planted, the PhD that I worked really, really hard to get and then 
taught for a number of years before I started writing. And our, you know, again, I keep going back to social media, our social media world, we can only see what's already out there. So I try to be transparent about that. I try to really talk about this part of the process and write about this a lot because, you know, the overnight success is, you know, that it's very rare. I mean, see, even someone, you know, I like to use Anne Boskamp as an example. Like people think she was an overnight success because she burst onto the scene so quickly. Well, no, not really. <laughs> right? She was a blogger for what, 10 years or something mm -hmm. like that yeah. for yep. a long time. And just because, you know, if we don't see it, then it doesn't exist. That's kind of how we think and like, no, mm -hmm. peel back the layers and look at what's been going on for a long time yeah. and definitely go with the long plan. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're watching the music awards and they're like best new artists of the year. <laughs> and you're like, well, they've actually been touring for like 10 years, but they just came up on the scene. Right, so they, everyone right. feels like, oh, they're a new artist. No, they've, they've got some right. miles under their right. belt. They've been doing this for a while. That's for sure. You know, I can even think about you've been married for 35 years. Congratulations. Thank you. That is an accomplishment these days. I think the same could be said of that. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, the everyday consistent mm -hmm putting in the work for that. Have you seen that not only true in your career, but also in your marriage as well? Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, it's, I don't know where the time went because that's a lot of years, but I can look back and, and I mean, we were, we were very young and we struggled so much. I was in school. My husband had a business. Well, we've lived here 21 years before that. We lived in about eight different places, <laughs> you know, as, as young couples do moving from here to there, this apartment, that apartment. And yeah, it's just so rewarding to, you know, it's not that things are perfect, but, you know, those seeds that are planted, the work that you put into building a foundation will bear fruit. So. Yeah, I think that's important for people who are younger than both of us to, to realize is that, you know, I've been married for 19 years, you've been married for 35, and even not even just marriage, just work life and friends mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all the things is that it's that every single day, faithfulness and committed to what is right in front of mm -hmm. you that day is what you're going to eventually wake up and go, oh, we've been here together for 35 years, <laughs> and it's working out well. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Okay, so you're back in school. I'm so happy. How was COVID? How was quarantine at the prior household? <laughs> well, you know, my classes I'm teaching in intensive format on campus. And so I'm just going down a few times to do them kind of in a series of weekends or weeks. Um, so are you going to like that? As you a, know, that, that's, a, that's a sacrifice for me because I just love being in the classroom every day oh, okay. and love mm -hmm. campus life. And so that that's something I need to adjust to. But again, you know, with COVID, it actually is better. Now, my husband's a high school teacher and okay. his school did go back. They actually just started last week and they've made a lot of modifications in the schedule and the accommodations and so forth. They've done a lot, but, you know, I'm a little scared. You know, the news now they keep reporting the teachers who died from COVID and I, it's definitely scary. Yeah. And so I really do have to trust the Lord. We're being as careful as we can. And yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, Karen, this has been such a joy for me to chat with you because I respect you. I respect your words, your wisdom, and you are someone that I can look at and go, she is smart with God's word and with culture. And so I like both of those things. Oh, thank you. And I like when those things are, are meshed together. So thank you so much. Thanks for all you're doing. And thank you for your voice. And tell your husband, we're sorry that you have to be outspoken because we need your voice <laughs> these days. <laughs> I'll pass um, that along. He's, pass that along to him. He's my strength and support. So it's okay. <laughs> I love that. I love that.
What have you been loving these days? We just finished watching uh, Love on the Spectrum on Netflix. I have heard such good things about that. Oh, my goodness. It's only one season. I assume more are coming out. And that was very disappointing when it ended. I cannot wait to (laughs) the beautifully done. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then I would just say, you know, I I said already that I live in God's country and I love the summer. I adore summer. But fall is slipping in. And that's so lovely, too. So I'm just really enjoying the fall weather and, you know, and just making that transition from this eternally long summer, because it seems like it started in March with everyone going home for COVID. Uh It did. Yes. And so it does feel like a new season, not just in terms of the weather, but even in just life returning a little bit more back to normal. I hope a little bit more. I know. I hope so as well. I hope so. We're recording this early September and my kids got on the school bus this morning and it felt I hadn't seen that school bus since what, March 13th or something. And I thought to myself, this feels a little bit normal, like a little bit, you know, like we're like, okay, this is a little bit normal. And so I hope by the time this releases at the end of October that we've seen a little bit more normal as well. Karen, thank you so much. I appreciate you. And thanks for coming on the happy hour. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Guys, here's a quote that I love that Karen said. She said, churches, schools, universities, all Christian ministries steward in the name of Christ, the most precious thing in all of creation, human bodies and souls. That's a lot of power. It's even more responsibility. When power goes unchecked, all hell will break loose. I appreciate Karen's transparency on a topic that can be difficult to address, but I hope it is a reminder of the great responsibility we've been given as Christ's ambassadors to represent his kingdom well. Karen, thank you for your words today. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a friend. Have a happy hour with a friend and join me and my friend Mandisa this Friday for happy hour number 331. And also, don't forget, did you hear our Faith and Politics miniseries that launched a few days ago? Well, part two is next Monday. My friends are coming back. Eugene Cho and Amy Wolf have both been guests on this podcast before, and you're going to love our conversation. Have a great week. 